0: everybody welcome to this week's podcast i got a couple small changes i've been implementing in the videos so hopefully they're coming across as okay or maybe you don't notice them at all which is also fine that means i'm not ruining anything but anyway let me know what you think and let's jump into the news First up, Mobius Striptech is now selling RGB mod boards for the top-loading versions of the CDI consoles, specifically the 400 and 500 models, but more are probably compatible. And there's some pretty cool things integrated into this. Um, First of all, you get sync by tapping into the main ship's H-Sync, and V-Sync pins, and this board will combine them together and output true C-Sync, which is a big help for a few reasons. First, you don't get any of that composite video interference if you use that as sync with unshielded cables or you don't have to worry about running a composite video sync line across the motherboard of the console which that alone could add potential interference um And of course, it just uh, helps with compatibility if anybody's using displays that don't really like composite video as sync. But also, Mobius was able to tweak the RGB levels on this to be pretty close to perfect. Uh, As far as we know, there's nobody that's created a test suite for the CDI that could definitely display an all-white screen or 100% color bars in order to do these measurements. So Mobius was able to find a a transition screen in a video where you could just... um, pause the scope and kind of measure based on that so not only is this a board that's going to make uh, installs easier on the cdi it could actually potentially have uh, more accurate colors than even the official pal cdis with rgb output um, because it looks like some of those don't really match up uh, which is interesting because you know on a consumer grade TV with RGB input, you'd probably notice the difference if somebody pointed it out to you, but it's not a huge difference. But now with, you know, people using professional monitors, people going through scalers, these things start to do make a much bigger difference when, you know, when they're all added up together. So you could potentially have a pretty accurate version of the top or or a very accurate RGB signal coming out of the top loading CDI uh, consoles. Um, I bought two of them. I have two top loaders. Uh, I'm going to have Jose install both of these for me. Um, And I'll definitely be doing at the very least a live stream, but probably a more in-depth video about all the crazy changes you need to do to the top loading CDI. It really is for, you know, doing these mods to the top loaders are for CDI enthusiasts. Otherwise, you could just get a front-loading CDI, throw in a basic RGB mod board, and, you know, maybe uh, if Mobius shares the values, or I think uh, you could probably just, you know, read them right off the board, you could change up the front-loading CDIs to have the exact RGB values as well, and, you know, that's a much easier way to use that console all, you know, just all across the board, except they are giant and heavy. They're pretty much like laser disc player size. So it's another, That's the main reason why I wanted the top loader is because I just don't have the room for another one. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be doing some more CDI stuff in the next coming months. It's weird because it's such a niche console, but there are so many interesting and neat things about it. So if you're looking for an RGB mod for it, uh, definitely check this out. The Fenrir optical drive emulator for the Sega Saturn just got some firmware updates that add some pretty cool features. Uh, I think my favorite is the ability to go back to the menu by pressing A, B, C, and start all at the same time. So that's a pretty cool in-game reset type of thing to go back to the the menu to switch games or whatever else. Um, Also the 300 game limit has been removed so now if you buy an SD card big enough you could put the entire Saturn library on it and it will read all of the games, not just 300. Um, One quick note about this this though I guess when this firmware came out there was one tiny bug added to it uh, so another firmware was updated afterwards so the best thing to do um, whenever you go to get the Fenrir firmware um, just go right to the top and grab the one that says firmware latest version um, and that way you don't have to worry about oh which one has the fix which one doesn't the latest version is just right on top which is always easier Um, and for anybody that's not aware the Fenrir is the optical drive emulator that's currently only compatible with Uh, the 20-pin Saturns. So uh, definitely something to look into because it's affordable. Um, You know, it works really well, but it's only compatible with that one set at this time. So check out the review if you'd like any more information on it. A new open source project was just started called the USB to DB15 that takes the USB output from PS3, PS4, and Xbox One controllers and converts it to DB15 for use with Superguns as well as Neo Geo consoles themselves. Uh, It looks like compatibility is pretty strong with both first and third party controllers. Um, And there's already been a fork of the project with uh, Frank, the creator of the Sentinel Supergun, has already been kind of working on it and making his own version so it already seems to be a project that's taking off. Um, Controller adapters are are something that's been more and more important over the years because uh, not only just for preference but for projects like the Mr. or any kind of super gun where you need to use a specific controller that you prefer on whatever platform you're using so all of these projects are absolutely welcomed and I'm certainly looking forward to giving this one a try. I just released a video about the MakeMegahertz Xbox HDMI mod, which is an internal digital-to-digital mod that takes true digital video and audio and sends it out via HDMI, and overall I really liked it. The only complaint, I don't even know if I'd go as far as to call it a complaint, but the only thing I had to say about it that wasn't totally positive is that this really is best suited for people with modded Xboxes um, because it just takes the video and sends it right out HDMI. There's no conversion of it, uh, and you can't really get updates or any kind of uh, feature adjustments without having a modded Xbox. Now, most people probably don't care. Their Xbox is most likely modded anyway, but there are a large group of people out there that just want a completely stock Xbox and to use their discs um and you know every time I, I talk about one or the other there's always the opposing sides but you know the that's just the truth some people like it modded some people want it unmodded and I think for unmodded Xboxes Dan and Kristoff's upcoming kit would probably be better because you don't have to worry about deinterlacing 480i I'm sure they're going to include the same deinterlacing they do um on their other kits which there really aren't too many 480i only original Xbox games but heck at least you don't have to worry about it either way uh it's Very cool mod. And also, Modern Vintage Gamer did a video about it as well that I really enjoyed. Um, So, you know, if you'd like two different perspectives on it, definitely give them both a watch. But overall, I think one of the biggest factors that you should take into account is cost. Uh, the pre-order price of the kit is $60. Um, after the pre-orders are over, it'll be 80 But that's still the same price as what these component kits and what component video cables, like monster cables, are going for on eBay. So if you're able to do your own soldering, which I guess it's about as hard as the other HDMI mods, um, I guess probably on par with like the Ultra HDMI. So if you could do that yourself... Now you end up with a true digital-to-digital solution for the same cost as just a component video cable, which is pretty convenient. If you already own component video cables that are quality, not junk, or if you can't do your own modding, it's really something that you'd have to think about. Um, If you never use any analog outputs at all, you're just going into a flat panel or splitter into a capture card as well, it's also a pretty big advantage. So overall, I guess check out the video and make your own decision on whether you think it's for you or not, but certainly no real component complaints for me whatsoever. John Linneman from Digital Foundry just posted an in-depth analysis of the Nintendo Switch port of Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And overall, it was really impressive, especially when you consider how much less powerful the Switch is compared to the Xbox One. And while, of course, you're not going to get the detail of 4K60, it did look very good in 1080p, and the frame rate was consistently right at around 60 frames per second, with only a few dips here and there. Um, John was also able to go through and get screenshots and video of the actual analysis tools that they used in making this, and it was really cool to see the inside look. So if you only have a Switch, you don't have a PC fast enough, uh, or you don't have a newer Xbox, or I guess you just want to play on the go, the Switch version is absolutely excellent, and especially for people that game on the Switch itself. I don't think you'd really be able to see it that much of a difference, if anything, um, between a higher resolution version, so it really would be a great way to play it. I will say, though, that I was lucky enough to pick this game up on my laptop, which I then connected to my home TV and then used an 8-bit Doe wireless controller, and I first started out playing it in 1080p60 because I actually didn't realize that you had to go into the settings to make it 4K, and it looked great, Um, absolutely no complaints, but when I went in and switched it to 4K60, it was incredible. Also, the fan on my laptop sounded like a jet engine the entire time I was playing, but I was super impressed at how much more detail you could get, even in just, when I say just, like a a side-scrolling Metroidvania game, because I don't think any kind of detail like that is required for a good 2D game. You know, Super Metroid, to me, is still an amazing game, and I don't think it would add anything to it if it was an HD, other than it would look really cool. I guess it's probably the opposite. It wouldn't, you know... uh, it's not that the, nothing would be taken away from it in a lower resolution. That's probably the better way to say because you could always appreciate nicer artwork. Um, so while if you do have only a Switch or you do plan on playing it in portable mode, um, you know it seems like a, an excellent solution. If you do have the ability to play it in 4K, I would highly recommend it because it's just a gorgeous game. I loved the game itself, um, but the look of it in 4K was super impressive. So um, you know while it's a modern game, not so much a retro game, it is. The the Metroidvania style, which so many of us retro fans love. So, uh, you know, definitely check this one out. And I think just last week I talked about special editions of this available on the Switch PC and the Xbox One. So if you're a super fan, you could pick up one of those. But if not, just the game itself is, is worth playing. The Sega Genesis port of Cave Story just received an update that seems to fix the biggest issue that I personally had with it, the save game support. Uh, So just to go back to the beginning for a moment, the game Cave Story was released well over 10 years ago now, and the developer open-sourced the code for it, so there's been ports to other platforms, and one developer took the time to port it to the Sega Genesis, which is awesome because that was a game that always felt like it would be at home on the Genesis anyway. Um, The port was excellent. I really enjoyed it. I spent uh, at least an hour or so with it last summer when it came out, Uh, but there was one major issue in that save game support didn't Work right. Um, on ri- uh, original hardware, or I guess even on emulation, if you were to just soft reset, your save game would persist. But the moment there was a hard reset, it would disappear, even though the save game file itself would still be there. And I tested this on the Mega SD, the EverDrive X5, X7, the Mr., and at least one software emulator. So it wasn't just a mistake I was making, which, you know, it's always plausible. That's always the first thing I think of is, what am I doing wrong? Uh, But it seems to be fixed in this one. Now, I didn't have time to go and do, you know, to really play through it at all. I just tested the save file itself, and everything seemed to work fine. So if you were looking to play this game on original hardware now, you could do so without having to rely on save states in order to to make sure that your game doesn't get lost and i really really enjoyed it when i played this on the wii so now i'm, I'm looking forward to going back and playing it on a sega genesis on a crt in 240p and really seeing if i like it better or worse or the same but um, it seems like an absolutely awesome port uh, i have footage from when i tried it out last year and i'm definitely looking forward to jumping back into it there's a project out there called the Ras Scuzzy. I think that's how you're supposed to say it, that's pretty cool in that it's almost like an optical drive emulator, but for SCSI devices. So it's a, a hat that sits on top of a Raspberry Pi that plugs into a SCSI connector that emulates a CD-ROM drive, a hard drive, I guess possibly even a floppy disk drive. Um, and it would really be great for devices like the Sharp, x68000, as well as the FM Towns, and I guess even uh, the CPS3, um, depending on what type of use you need for it. Uh, And overall, projects like this are pretty awesome, because even if you are somebody that has working original hardware like that, that sometimes it's much easier just to use an emulation device like this. You could certainly preserve the hardware longer if you're not using it all the time. and uh, Or if, you just, if your hardware broke, this is a great way to emulate that. That still allows for use on original consoles, just like an optical drive emulator on original consoles. So uh, I'm a, a giant fan of projects like this. I, I hope to see it get ported over to any other device that could use it. Um, there's a bunch of other projects similar that are just floppy disk emulators or just hard drive emulators. Um, And I I think a Raspberry Pi is just the perfect tool for something like that. So definitely check it out if you're interested. Uh, I'd also like to welcome Dan Mons as one of the writers on RetroRGB now. I did an interview with him a few years ago where he shared his really awesome MAME knowledge with all of us. Uh, And now I guess he's going to continue to share his software background as well as uh, arcade and hardware background with us as well. So thanks so much and welcome to Dan. Uh, Definitely interested in seeing other posts that he's going to come up with. My Life in Gaming just posted an absolutely awesome video on the best ways to play Mario 64. And if that's one of your favorite games, you have to watch this video. It breaks each version down from all of the official releases uh, and goes in a little bit to the cool new emulated version at the end. Uh, But overall, I just thought this was the perfect video for somebody saying, I want to play or replay Mario 64. What's the best way to do it? Uh, and while I don't like spoiling these things, because even if you already know the answer, I like you know I like it when people experience these videos for themselves, I do absolutely have to comment on the Mario All-Stars version, the one that was just released for the Switch. And I kind of had an opinion going into this about it without ever seeing it. I was just immediately disappointed that Nintendo chose to emulate the Mario 64 rather than go through and take... You know, the community built uh, versions of it that do native widescreen, native 1080p, you know, rendered in the higher resolution and, and looks absolutely stunning, you know, 60 frames per second, even depending on your computer. I mean, they really could have taken the time to make an amazing switch port of the game, but instead they emulated it. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons they could have done that. There's anything from budget to how would they address that, you know, the the community version of it, you know, their legal team probably would have had issues with that. I I don't really know. But, you know, I I mean, I still am absolutely disappointed that they didn't take the time to do that. But according to Mark, who is definitely my number one go-to source on N64 stuff, according to Mark, the uh, All-Stars version of it is the best emulated of all of them so far. Definitely better than the Wii and Wii U Virtual. Console versions, and based on the footage I saw in their video, it looked great. So, uh, you know, I guess that kind of, while it did absolutely change my opinion on it, I'm still disappointed that Nintendo didn't take the time to go through and do an actual port. Maybe they will at some time in the future. Who knows? Maybe they're saving it for a 4K version of the Switch. So it's, a, I, I don't know. It's at that point anything else said is just speculation but i will say that if you were looking to play mario 64 and you don't have any of the other consoles you just had the switch the all-stars version certainly does seem like a decent option so uh, overall definitely watch the video it's on the longer side but it went really fast in my opinion just because you know nothing ever dragged everything was very cool and flowed very well so you know excellent excellent video Um, definitely recommend to any mario 64 fan Terra Onion has just released the MVS version of the Neo SD Pro, and it looks like this is going to be a limited run and only one run of production. So if you were waiting for this, now is pretty much the only time you have to pick one up. Uh, And it is pretty expensive. It came to about $660, including shipping to the US. And depending on where you live, shipping might be different and you might have to pay taxes on it. Um, All depends on your region and everything. So I guess the thing to ask yourself is, Would this ROM cart be the right one for your setup? Because if you're just looking for the Neo Geo library on original hardware, you have the non-pro edition of the Neo SD and the Darksoft cart, both of which are awesome. Uh, I did videos about this last year. Um, uh, Both of them are are still 100% relevant. You just have to watch both because uh, the second video talks about the Neo Geo CD support. So that's all something that you would want to consider. So if you don't need Neo Geo CD support and you're just looking to run games on your original hardware, any of these are a good choice. But the fast loading and the Neo Geo CD stuff is something I was very interested in because in my scenario, I have that mini MVS cabinet, which it's not really something that you could safely be swapping cartridges around. So to have the entire Neo Geo library built into that um, then I could just close up the back and never open it again is definitely a bonus for me. Also, the only downside of Neo Geo CD audio through the Neo SD Pro is that it could only be outputted in mono because there's no stereo pins on the cartridge slot to route it through, only mono. So you'd have to have some kind of external mixing option, which Terra Onion uh, hasn't come up with yet. So while that really isn't something that would interest a lot of people on the original hardware, because, uh, you know, stereo audio is pretty cool, in the scenario of my mini MVS that only has one speaker anyway, it doesn't matter. So I, I wanted to take it advantage of that and really be able to enjoy all of them. And to be honest, if you have a stand-up MVS cabinet and you want all of the games including CD as well, this really would be a pretty cool solution for you. Um, Now, if you're just looking to play the games, though, you don't even really need real hardware anymore. The Mister does a very amazing job emulating this. Uh, You know, Little to zero lag depending on what your setup is and you could get a mister setup with the RAM module for less than any of these ROM cards. <laughs> so that's all something to consider. I know people usually flip out when they hear the uh, expensive prices on stuff, but it's all context. Do you already have an arcade machine or a really nicely consolized MVS? Do you already have everything else that you need, but you you know, you know don't own a Neo Geo CD and you want all of this stuff in one place? Probably is a good idea. You know, Do you already have other solutions or do you already have a ROM cart? This might not be something that you would need to purchase. So I would just put all of that into perspective and figure out if this is for you or not. I really grabbed it because I do think it's the best fit for my setup and because I didn't want to miss out on it at another time. So I guess I got to sell my original Neo SD now if anybody wants it. (laughs) But, um, you know, I I definitely liked uh, the, the Pro when I tested it. I was able to borrow one and test on an AES last summer. But there really are awesome options for everybody. So check out those videos um, and check out other options if you'd like as well and really just pick whatever's best for you. Retro Fighters has just launched a Kickstarter campaign for a wireless version of their Brawler 64 controller. The price is $30, and they claim delivery in December of this year, which I think is incredibly ambitious. Um, If if that is true, that means they've already put the purchase order in for them or something like that, because there's no possible way you could have something end in late October and have it delivered in December like that. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have some magical production line, but if you do want to back this, I would have some realistic expectations of when this controller would actually arrive. Uh, But... As far as I know, all of the Retro Fighters Kickstarter campaigns has gone well, and it's already funded, so I would certainly feel safe purchasing this one knowing that it'll most likely arrive. They certainly don't have a bad history. I just saw December 2020 and thought, eh... Who wants to take bets on that one? (laughs) Anyway, uh, it is not Bluetooth. It's wireless 2.4 gig RF, so there's potential for it being low latency. However, they have not published any actual latency measurements yet, so I would definitely have an air of skepticism with this. I've tested controllers that are over a frame of lag, if not more, wireless, and I've tested others that barely have any lag. So, you know, the last time I mentioned companies uh, posting their their lag test results, I get a lot of negative feedback from that, but I'm not budging on this one. I think that if you're a company that makes something, the only reason that you wouldn't publish your numbers is if you had something to hide. So, you know, feel free to disagree with me all you want, but I'm not backing away from my stance of, uh, you know, as consumers, we should know the stats of the things that we're buying. But lucky, lucky for us, whether uh, companies will actually go through the trouble and test them or not, community members will. So we should have some lag test results on this pretty quickly after they're released. Um, some other options for it. It's uh, 10 hours of battery life. They have a revised Z button with reduced range of motion, uh, and it's compatible with first and third party memory cards. There will not be rumble card support or rumble pack support uh, or transfer pack support, and um, And the colors are limited to just a few, not all of the fantastic colors, but uh, they do seem to look really great. There's green, red, blue, uh, and then just the classic gray. Um, And the the dongles that plug in are colored to match as well. So, uh, you know, there's certainly some very good color choices out there. Um, And, you know, Retro Fighters has had a pretty decent history. I, I just hope that any company that's making wireless controllers now, especially for retro, really doubles down on, on how much lag is released with it. Because with the testing methods that the community has getting better and better, people can't really, you know, hide if they have a laggy controller anymore. So fingers crossed that Retro Fighters really put some work into this and got a low latency wireless controller. Uh, $30 is a very fair price. So anybody interested, definitely check that out. Continuing all the different N64-related stuff this week, Wrestling With Gaming just posted an awesome documentary on the making of Goldeneye, and it went into detail of how the game was made, um, the developers behind it, the timelines they went up against, and also visually, this was a really awesome video to watch. I really appreciated using the special emulator that was designed for Goldeneye that allowed for HD graphics to be used, because I think this is one of those scenarios in which having a better visualization of the game was really cool. You know, there's a lot of times where I really think getting the exact footage from the original console presented in the right aspect ratio is the right thing to do, whereas I think this was about the story of the game, not a technical analysis of the game. So just having really nice-looking high-def visuals to... uh, really added to it. In my opinion, maybe you would have preferred the originals, but you have to check it out in order to see for yourself. Uh, also, I, I had asked Yehel how he made some of these things just to make sure I got the info out because I thought it was really cool. Um, most, much of that footage was recorded from the 1964 GoldenEye emulator. Some of it was uh, actually taken from a channel called uh, Grazzle00 I'm, I'm saying that wrong Grassloo, um, My apologies the link is in there um, Using the same emulator And the same way of capturing it Just I guess uh, that channel has some footage towards the end of the game So it was easier to borrow footage um, Also the sweeping shots Where like Hell was put in, in the tower and stuff like that Were done in Cinema 4D and Blender uh, And then as mentioned in the video At the end of the game Footage of the unreleased Xbox port was actually shown as well So very cool cool stories to be told. I especially loved the whole story about the multiplayer mode and all that. Uh, Good documentary, but visually really awesome to watch as well. So even if you're just slightly interested in any of those things, definitely give this one a watch. I just posted my second interview with Dr. Anthony Bean, aka The Video Game Doc, and we discussed the books that he's written since the last time we talked, as well as just psychology and gaming and kind of a whole bunch of other stuff going on. If you're interested in his work, I have links to absolutely everything that I thought people would be interested in everywhere that these are posted. Um, If you're interested in his books as well, two of them are really focused on uh, other clinicians. And if you were interested in psychology, you might be uh, interested in these as well. But I think the more mainstream books are probably for us nerds listening. Um, The Psychology of Final Fantasy and of Zelda. And I think anybody who's really interested in those game series and even the slightest interest in psychology would probably probably get into those as well. Um, You know, Dr. Bean was really easy to talk to. We we talked about a bunch of different subjects. And I guess being easy to talk to is probably a good personality trait to have if you're a practicing psychologist. Um, But we kind of went through a whole bunch of different things. And, you know, it's just always really good to talk to somebody that makes it very comfortable to talk about mental health. Because I have always pushed back against the stigma of that. And, you know, I've always used, you know, I'm sorry for repeating myself a million times, but I've always used the example of like, if your hand hurts and it won't go away after a couple of weeks, you go to a doctor. Like, no one, no normal person would ever look down upon you for going to a doctor with a physical injury. And I've always very strongly felt the same about mental illness. Like, if something's wrong, talk to somebody. And if you're lucky enough to have a friend group that kind of fulfills that need for you, cool. If you need more help than that, then, you know, just look somebody up and go. And I, I'm just I'm glad that there's people out there like dr. bean and his team that are making this easier for people the telos project that he's a part of is, is really focused in locally to him in Texas but it's another thing of trying to extend mental health to people that need it and of course his work in the video game in the whole video game world and pushing back against those stigmas is incredibly important for all of us because I think anybody that's ever known any hardcore gamers can very and has also been around addiction I guess could very easily tell the difference between somebody that loves Gaming and somebody that's addicted to gaming, but it's very shocking at how many people, even how many uh, healthcare professionals, don't understand that difference. And his team is really pushing the word out there to try to fix all that stuff. So Hopefully the interview went well. Um, you know, I think I did a better job this time. Like everything else, if you don't practice, you're not as good at it and I haven't done as many interviews recently. So every time I listen back at these, I always listen to myself and think, why didn't I complete that thought better? Why didn't I talk about this instead? You know, why did I talk so much in this part? So and I think doing an interview uh, with a psychiatrist, I've probably doubled down on my like, oh no, did I screw up? Did I sound like an idiot? So hopefully everybody en- enjoys it. Um, it is, of course, available, as with all the other audio stuff I do, everywhere, including Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Apple, um, Google, everything. Um, and of course direct download if you just prefer an MP3 saved to your phone, uh, and as a video. And um, I just always want to make the point that listen to these wherever is the most convenient for you. While yes, it's always nice to see you know a bunch of hits on a YouTube video, uh, and I mean this respectfully, I don't care where you listen to it, I'm just very excited when people get the content they want the easiest way possible for them so you know if you happen to remember flick a browser open let it play out uh, you know just to give me an extra view or two but for actually listening to this whatever is the easiest for you and same thing with these weekly podcasts as well the numbers audio only for this weekly podcast have gone have gone up quicker than the video views which I think is awesome I just I really love the fact that people get to hear this stuff however they want to without any kind of confines around it so sorry for my little rant about audio podcasts. I just, I just really want to make everything easier for everybody. And I'm so grateful that people listen to some of the work that we do. So uh, please check out that podcast if you have even the slightest interest in gaming and psychology at all. I thought it was, went really well. And I'll continue to keep everybody in the loop of his work because I, I am really happy with a lot of the stuff that they've been doing and a lot of the stigmas that they've been trying to crush. Well, that's it for this week. Hopefully, if you've been watching on video, you've noticed the uh, the tags I've been putting up whenever an article was written by somebody else. Um, I really have been wanting to try to highlight the writers more and really show some love for everybody that's contributing both to retro RGB and to the retro gaming scene. And I'm always trying to think of different ways to highlight their work and just, you know, try to say thank you to everybody that contributes. So hopefully the small little things will start to add up and uh, there's going to be more changes like that, that. I'm really just trying to to highlight all the awesome work that people do. So, uh, hopefully you either noticed and thought it was cool or didn't notice at all, which is also fine. It means I didn't, you know, I didn't ruin anything by by changing stuff up. But as always, your feedback is always appreciated. Um, I, I always try to listen and and adapt to anything reasonable that that I, that's within my skill level. I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff I could be doing that I just don't know how to do. But <laughs> anyway, if uh, if you have any thoughts, always feel free to, to leave them down below. And uh, of course, thanks to everybody for watching and listening and playing nice in the comments. And uh, especially thank you to. Every- Everybody that supports on Patreon and Floatplane, because without your support, none of these videos or any of the behind the scenes work would ever be possible. So, thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.